Welcome to the Wedding Business Co. Podcast. I am Taylor Jackson. This week, I am joined by Sam Hurd. Sam is a wizard when it comes to lighting and geometry and posing and processing and everything else that goes into wedding photography and photography in general. I went to one of his workshops earlier this year in Charleston, South Carolina, and I learned a lot. Regardless of where you are at in your career, Sam is a guy that can teach you a lot. On to this week's episode. So I'm here today with Sam, Sam Hurd. Um, you're actually photographing Lindsay and my own legal wedding. We're super excited. Yes, I'm, I am too. I can't <laughs> wait. Taco Tuesday in Canada. How far away is it? Is it a uh, couple months? Yeah. I have to check. It's not too far. I should know. I should have a countdown. It's challenging because we have like yeah. the, we have a legal wedding um, that's a little bit smaller, and then we also have kind of a bigger one that is a destination that everyone's coming to. So I don't know. Well, you have two options. You, either you have two dates now to forget the rest of your life, or you've got, you always have a backup chance to remember yeah. if you ever forget one. I guess so. Other. I guess that's like two. So do, do we do gifts on both? We probably should. I don't know. I don't know. That's, we'll we'll uh, sort that out or rock, paper, yeah. scissors for it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, so yeah, thanks so much for being here and talking with me today. Yeah, it's um, I guess, do we want to start out maybe a little bit about um, just kind of how you found your way into wedding photography um, kind of from the beginning. Uh, how has your career trajectory yeah. and path kind of gone? <laughs> uh, well, in a nutshell, it was it was kind of uh, random that I fell into photography professionally. Um, weddings was a little more on purpose, but essentially, uh, you know, I got my first camera probably like most people uh, in, in, you know, in high school. And that was right when digital cameras were becoming somewhat respected and usable. Um, my first camera ever was a, a Sony, I don't know how, I guess I convinced my, uh, my family somehow to buy it for the family. But of course I was the only one that ever used it. Um, and it was the Sony camera that had, uh, an EVF and live view, or maybe just like a live view screen, but it would actually articulate and rotate kind of like the, the flippy yeah. screens of today on the back of DSLR. And, uh, and I love that. Um, and that was my first digital camera ended up, it got stolen. And so, uh, I had to buy another camera when I was out on a trip, um, backpacking in Europe during college. And that was my first SLR. It was the D 50 Nikon nice. D 50. And, uh, ever since that camera came out. So the digital one that I had the Sony, like I couldn't swap lenses or anything. It was just one lens and had a digital zoom. And so the DSLR opened my entire world into the, uh, you know, ability to buy different lenses and, and prime lenses and all that stuff that I was completely clueless about, uh, for a long time. And, uh, you know, I shot through college just for fun and was up interviewing for jobs after, you know, I was getting ready to graduate and, uh, came across a Craigslist ad for a photographer in Washington, DC. And they hired me to shoot their client events. Basically I was the only staff photographer working and, um, yeah, they just needed to have photography as kind of a line item that they could sell to clients having events. A lot of press conferences, news, uh, newsmakers and events like that, uh, you know, pretty dingy rooms with somebody standing at a podium with a mic. And that's what I did every day for years. And uh, then my coworker there, uh, familiar enough with my photography, she asked me to shoot her wedding uh, a couple years into working there. And um yeah, that's how I started. Uh, it, once you have one wedding, you know, unless you completely bomb, uh, if you want to shoot more, all you need is that like first wedding to, to get that next client, you know, and it kind of builds from there. And, uh, uh, yeah, that was it. So that was like eight years ago now, something like Very that. Very cool. And you've years. come across some, uh, outside of weddings, some pretty insane opportunities as well. Like you got to, you photographed a lot of important and famous people. 
yeah, well, that was just um, the circumstances of where I was, right? In D.C., uh, you know, a lot of various groups and organizations kind of attach celebrities to themselves to raise awareness and get, uh, you know, some buzz. And um, generally, it would just be me, especially if they were at the press club where I was working as the staff photographer. Uh, it would just be me in, like, the VIP reception and stuff like that. So I had... Uh, you know, the access. And then uh, eventually I realized I had the time, even if it was just a few minutes, um, to actually, you know, take them aside and do a stylized portrait in the way that I want instead of just like a candid moment or grip and grin or something like that. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of, I wish I had realized the opportunity earlier because, uh, there was just so many fantastic, uh, politicians and celebrities that have come through the doors of the press club. Um, that's kind of tapered off, uh, over the past few years as the news industry as a whole has changed. Uh, celebrities rarely make like in-person appearances anymore. seems like they're just all on kind of social media, probably easier for them, <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, it used to be almost a daily thing. You would have like a vice president or, you know, of course a governor or some actor just coming through the doors. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, but Very yeah. Cool. Um, and I guess the w one image that comes to my mind at least is, uh, your shot with George Clooney. Um, how, how do you yep. go about like, um, one that was, uh, how did you take that photo? It's, it's a Pano Brenizer stitch. Yes. It's a three image stitch panorama. So yep. how do you, how do you just like approach somebody like George Clooney and just be like, Hey, just like have a seat here for a second. I'm just going to try this thing. Like, well, that one was interesting because though he was aware of the photo potentially happening as things do, he was running super late. So he was actually in the studio. The press club has their own like broadcast studio where people can, uh, basically uh, oftentimes it would be a full day where a guest would just sit in the studio and do like radio patch ins and then live feeds to newsrooms and stuff like that. This is like, you know, where they would just sit and do a ton of different uh, spots throughout the day. And he was running late. Uh, and so I thought I got bumped. I had a whole thing set up in a room right next to the studio and I was ready to go and I thought it wasn't going to happen. And then literally as he was exiting the studio to like, you know, just, go do something else, uh, walking down the hallway. Um, yeah, I just said, Hey, you know, I, I have a, a, a setup in the back room for your, your portrait that we're going to do here. And he's like, Oh, okay, let me, let me take a look and kind of, you know, he, he, he's a director himself. So I, I don't know how familiar he is with photography, but he has some sense of an eye of, uh, of, you know, maybe what a, an, a, professional setup might look like or whatever, but he took, he just took a glance in the room and it was like, okay, real quick yeah. or whatever. And he stood right where I wanted him and all my lights were turned off. Thankfully everything was still in place exactly how I wanted it, but the lights were off in the power settings. I actually had written down, but I had to readjust all the power settings so that my ratios were, were fine and it ended up being great. But, uh, I was like literally shaking as I was trying to quickly and, you know, systematically make sure everything was working and powered on. Yeah. Like it I was, uh, I was kind of caught off guard that he was, he said, sure. Um, <laughs> but and it was just a brief a photo. It wasn't, it wasn't a ton of, uh, you know, time but that's usually how it is uh, with those kinds of people they're not interested in having additional photos now one cool thing about george clooney though and one of the reasons why he was willing uh even though he was running late and all this other stuff um his dad was a, a professional journalist and i know uh he speaks 
very fondly of his father. He, he might have even passed away by now, but um, yeah, his dad was at the press club a lot and worked there a lot. So I know that's one reason George Clooney really loves being yeah. there for stuff. Yeah, it's it's an interesting connection. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, and then I'm guessing at that time you were shooting, um, or at least specifically with that, that was like more of an in-studio thing. How often are you bringing lights on shoots now? Because I feel like it's been a while. Never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do. So actually, that's not true. Uh, a few days ago, I did like a, a law firm hired me to shoot a bunch of portraits of the the staff and the lawyers, the law t- legal team, and like pictures of them in their offices and stuff like that. So rarely, and I don't market for that kind of stuff. It just comes up as people refer me or whatever. Um, and and so I bring my lights and stuff like that. I've been doing a lot more. There's actually a uh, a, food, a restaurant called Taylor Gourmet, mm. um, which is a really yeah great name, yeah. right? Really good uh, restaurant um, sandwiches and stuff like that in in the D.C. area, and they've had me do I don't know four or five shoots now of rephotographing their old menus and upcoming menus and catering menus. So I've been doing food photography, which is unexpectedly difficult. Oh my gosh, really tough. Although the the you know spoils of it are fantastic being able to eat whatever you want when you're done but uh yeah i bring my lights for stuff like that but for weddings and the stuff that i'm really known for uh, outside of these celebrity pictures it's almost exclusively natural light no and no modifiers of any kind uh no like reflectors or yeah weird things it's just the available light and you know uh smart direction of client yeah, placement very cool um, and then I guess, uh, we can talk a little bit about the tools. I guess it's kind of time. Um, I guess the, the D eight fifties out. Um, how excited are you about it? Or are you still it's in my hand right now? I just walk around all day carrying it. <laughs> that, that was me yesterday. It was just under my arm. I don't even have the strap on it yet. I'm just like, it's my baby. Yeah. So I'm really happy. I, you know, I, I've had the D 800 and the D eight ten, And of course the D seven fifty, I had the D four D five, like uh, all their professional stuff I've, I've purchased and tried and used in some capacity. And I really love, I feel like the grip on the D eight fifty is very similar to the seven fifty, um, where it's, it's just like, I don't know. It's perfect for my yeah. hands. Um, really fantastic and uh i'm yeah what what are your thoughts are you pretty happy with how long have you had uh, it I, have you have you shot i've had it two days so i was in um i did like this amazing trip across the states that i would have loved to have it for and in like the six days that i was gone uh, i got the email notification that it was shipped and it was in my camera store back home in canada oh, so i did all this cool stuff and every day it was just like i wish that like we did a doors off helicopter over new york city and i'm like i wish that i had it but um but picking it up yesterday, I'm super excited about it. Um, but I can't, can you process raw files on it yet? Or do you still have to convert to DNG? You have to convert. Yeah. Uh, which should be fine and, and pretty close. I, I, I think so. Adobe has already done a, uh, a calibration conversion, uh, for the colors and how they interpret all that stuff. But you do have to convert the .NEF raw files to DNG for it to work in Lightroom. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, that's yeah. that, uh, it's kind of a pain. It will but, be solved next week. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> I know they, well, they issued a statement, you know, we're very aware. And of course they're aware that people want it, but you got to get the, uh, yeah, you got to get it locked in. You don't want to mess up people's raw yeah. files or anything, but yeah. Uh, so, but that's not too bad. I just do a quick batch. I've shot over, over 5,000 images at this okay. point of, uh, files and converted them all and it's all good, but. Um, yeah, it's, I was, well, let me, let me start with actually the, 
autofocus calibration was extreme. Uh, you know, where a lens on my D5 would have zero or like plus three, minus three uh, calibration needed for autofocus, it would have the same lens as like plus 15 or plus wow. 13 on the D850 body. And that was pretty much the story with all of my lenses. So I had to go through and, um, of course I didn't realize that until like, you know, an hour into shooting a wedding where I started to look back and be like, Oh, these are a little yeah. soft, you know, thankfully I tend to live view and manual focus a ton. So it's not like I lost an hour of photos, but, um, and it would occasionally hit. Okay. But after the calibration, everything is exactly as I would, you know, would expect it. And, uh, definitely on par with the D five autofocus. Yeah. Uh, and it should be, it's the same, system yeah, supposedly very strange though. um yeah uh, well you know some bodies are just uh i mean who knows uh, it's probably the mirror mechanism or, or the sensor who knows I, I, the mount is just a millimeter off or something like that it's just causing it to be a little out of whack but that's okay as long as you don't need plus 25 or whatever is out of the range that it can compensate for um then you're yeah. fine and but, are you doing that manually or are you using does this have i haven't even um it does have okay. the auto autofocus and so that's what i'm okay. using uh and for that's a life for people that are unfamiliar with it do you want to explain how amazing it is yeah it's autofocus fine-tune um but instead of needing like a chart and graphs and like manually focusing and doing weird like stuff <laughs> um you basically line up your center focus point in live view on a contrasty thing you know yeah. uh six to ten feet away from you something like that and then you just hold the AF button on the lower left side while holding the record button while live view is on. And it takes, you know, the mirror is up when you're in live view. It's just showing you the direct, what the sensor sees. It takes what the sensor is seeing and then flips the mirror down and measures what the mirror is seeing. Uh, and then, you know, uh, calibrates it accordingly. So if the, because when you're shooting with the optical viewfinder, um, you it's bouncing the image off a mirror and if that mirror is you know out of calibration or out of um you know whatever with the sensor it needs to be compensated for and that's all this is doing and it's automatic so that's really nice but i i usually take one lens and do like four or five calibrations because each one might be like plus one or plus two different from the other and then i just keep it at whatever the average of all the readings are because it's it's weird. You'll have it pointed at the exact same object with the exact same lens and settings, and it'll it'll do a reading of plus five, and then maybe the next time plus six, next time plus four. So I just kind of take the average of all those. Yeah. I, I like the automated process because when I do it manually, I will spend specifically with the Sigma lenses. Like the Sigma Art lenses are really terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I just keep second guessing myself forever, and it's just like a constant process where now it's automated, yeah. and I'm like, this is what it's telling me to it is. So. I don't know. I guess, it, I guess at it less. Um, and, and, you know, I did, I went through the whole process on the D five and like I said, it needed far fewer, uh, extreme. Like it was always within like a plus or minus three to five range on every lens on the D five that I own. And, uh, but as soon as things were dialed in, it was super wicked sharp. I mean, unless it completely missed focus and it was obvious, it just wasn't even close. Uh, everything's perfect. And so after calibrating this, I've had pretty much the same experience uh, so far. Um, is it going to, the, is the D850 going to replace your D5 or is it going to replace one of yep. your, it is. Yep, it is. Uh, the biggest thing I was concerned about are, were the file sizes. And of course the medium raw conversion being a joke, uh, because their previous implementations, I actually don't think I even tested the, the small raw option on the D5. 
uh, I have no that idea if that cooks the files, small? but yeah, it's way yeah, too small. Okay. So I was just never even thinking about trying it. But on the other D800 series cameras, yeah, they would provide small raw or medium raw and they would cook the files. So they were m- more similar to a JPEG. If you tried to do white balance adjustments or whatever, oh, it was, it was not, yeah, you wouldn't have a full raw ability. And with this camera, it definitely is a raw file. It's not, from what I could tell, uh, it looks exactly the same, whether it's large raw or medium raw or small raw. So we're all good on that front. And the only other thing that I was worried about was, uh, you know, the high ISO performance. Was I going to need to keep my D5 in case I need to shoot in crazy low light and blah, blah, blah. And I actually think that a lot of my high ISO pictures are cleaner with the D850 than on the D5. Uh, which is kind of shocking. It doesn't, it doesn't boost as high as the D five will that goes to like high (laughs) plus five or some insane. It's like a couple million equivalent ISO, but that's just a grainy mess. But I'm going to do a comparison actually right when we're done talking today of straight, same scene, same high ISO and uh, see how they compare. But I also wonder if, shooting in medium raw or small raw gives you a little bit of like noise compression in the resolution. So you actually get a cleaner image. I I, I'm wondering that I'm not sure that's the case, Uh, but it would make sense to me that a 12,800 large full raw resolution would actually look better in medium raw at the exact same settings. Um, I'm hoping that's the case. I don't know, Uh, but we'll see. Um, random i guess not that off topic but a little off topic did you ever try the fuji medium format yeah yeah but uh not in my own uh controlled okay. environment with like my own weddings i just uh you know picked a few up at some uh trade shows or something like that you know it was a conference yeah. I mean, i'm um, just yeah and it was it was cool it was really great the biggest thing is like the the focus or the the shallowed up the field equivalent was like shooting with a you know, a 2.8 lens, like they even, or something like something weird like that, because they only, I'm going to see if they've updated Fuji. The only reason, but they're like shallowest lens is an F. Have you, you No, I haven't, but, um, I've seen a few, it was specifically somebody who was running a video test on it, but yeah, the way that the video files looked, um, it just looked Uh different and softer, I guess. Um, it was, it was something that like kind of side by side that you can't really explain why you like it or why it's different, but the medium format, um, specifically with the video, it felt, it felt a lot grander almost and a lot more cinematic, um, in the exact same settings. So I'm just, yeah, I mean, you don't only, it's not, yeah. I mean, it's not only about, um, you know, achieving crazy shallow depth of field with a larger sensor for sure. There's other elements, but, um, yeah, this is a 63 millimeter F 2.8. I think that's their shallowest, uh, lens close to a 50 millimeter equivalent. And so that doesn't get you any shallower than a 51.4 on a, uh, uh, full frame SLR. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the limitations are if they can introduce like crazy, I don't you think know, I know any wedding shooters uh, that wide aperture. use um, a system like that. Uses? I don't know. I'm sure there's some people. I know pe- people have demoed it and tried it and shot weddings with it, but I don't know anybody that is actively shooting all the time with it as their main yeah. camera. <laughs> but it's also ergonomically a little... I don't like it for me. It's 
uh, unlike their other mirrorless cameras, which ergonomically are great for me, this one has just so many, like, I don't know, knobs and buttons and weird placements. And the, the, the rear viewfinder, it does flip out and go, uh, you know, uh, completely horizontal or vertical, whatever you want, which is nice, but it like sticks out in the back a little yeah. bit. So it's just yeah. kind of weird. It's not a very small camera for sure. I mean, it's small for the sensor size. Don't get me wrong, but it's still a big yeah. camera. Well, it's, it's a, it's so. a good step, I think for that field at least so maybe we'll see what generation two of it has i mean that's that's the other reason the d850 is going to replace my d5 is that not only does it have fantastic dynamic range great high iso you can you know choose whatever resolution you want to shoot uh it's basically modular with batteries and a battery grip like i can have it be really small for an engagement session or i can have a grip on there for a full wedding day where i need tons of battery life i just love having like modularity to my to my gear um and maybe even a little bit on the um mirrorless side of things what keeps you full frame why have you chosen full frame over something like a fuji camera um, you know, when I've shot Fuji stuff, like the colors are pretty great. They've dialed that in nicely, but not having the full palette of options available to me in terms of, you know, the look of shooting full frame at F1.4 or F1.2, uh, versus, you know, the shallowest look you can basically get on a, uh, crop sensor like a Fuji is again, it's like a 2.8 equivalent. So it just feels like I, I don't know. It's not like I always use crazy bokeh on every shot. Uh, I just like having the option when it's there. Um, and when it's, when it's not, it just feels kind of weird. Plus, uh, having to keep up with battery life and stuff like that throughout the day is kind of a pain. Uh, I will certainly shoot most weddings, if not all weddings with a gripped D850 and my D5. Now I, I literally haven't even purchased a second <laughs> battery for it in the two years I've shot with it because it's always at like 35, 40% after a full wedding day of shooting. It is insanely battery efficient. And, uh, yeah, I just love not having to yeah, think about batteries. Um, that was, that <laughs> was one of my, like I shoot both photo and video at weddings and it's the same thing that when I get home at the end of the day, um, with the D5 battery, it's like, I haven't, I've never even got into um, like one bar remaining. It's always been, it's always been a good situation getting home. Yeah. And I use live view heavily and that's a battery drain. Like, you know, it's historically. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, The other thing is the, there is a point where cameras are getting just too small. Like even if the iPhone had the ability to do everything that, which it's slowly starting to do everything that SLRs do and mirrorless cameras do. Like it's so small and tiny. The experiencing of using it uh, is, is, it's kind of annoying after a while. That's sort of my problem with the Sony a nine too. And all the a seven or the a series cameras. Um, They're just tiny, tiny in my hands. I like a little, I, I don't love the weight of larger cameras, but I like the grippy, bulkiness to to a point. Are you still using the A9 as a second or backup or third or whatever it was? Yeah. Uh, Well, I won't, I won't be anymore for weddings. I might bring it because I mean, uh, though it's not for me a full workhorse replacement, it is still an excellent kind of travel camera and just way to have one body access three or four different systems of lenses. You know, you can, you can buy an adapter for almost anything to work on the Sony a nine. So I've got Leica lenses and a Sony lens and, and Canon lenses that I can all adapt, uh, easily to work with the, uh, the a nine. So I'm keeping it around for, for those cool. purposes. Um, the new iPhones released, or I guess announced a couple of days ago. Um, are you going to be looking at an iPhone X? 
<laughs> oh yeah, definitely got to pre-order that. I'll be up at three a.m. and uh, for sure. What are your? Um, I, I I'm not like I'm not looking forward to having. I, I hope they. I am probably one of the few people, or maybe not. Maybe people really do uh, that love the Apple battery case that they have right now for the six and seven series. Um, for, not the plus size, but the, the regular, I love having a battery case because again, I can have the battery charging while my phone is in use, or I can obviously, you know, it's like having a modular battery. It's fantastic for travel. I actually own two Apple battery cases and that's my biggest thing with the X. I don't know that they're going to release a, a special Apple case for it, which would really bum me out. Because I, again, it's nice to be able to, when you're traveling, have a battery charging while you're still using your phone. And then you can like, as your phone dies, take your battery, put it in. I love that uh, modularity. So that's my only worry. (laughs) (laughs) Everything else about the X, I think is a pretty huge slam dunk. I don't know. What about Yeah, I'm going to get one for sure. Um, I think the, the only thing that I've heard negative about it is that it's just so expensive and when you run a business and like I use my phone way more than I use my laptop. Um, it's exactly. Like, it's reasonable. Yep. It is. It is your professional device now. Like it's yeah, completely agree. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't go even higher yeah. with the price, especially with the, uh, um, the, their yield rates are su- supposedly like 10,000 a day right now, which is not enough, not even close to keep up with demand. And, uh, they, I feel like they could have added another $500 to the starting price and, uh, you know, um, not had as much demand, thus, you know, faster shipping times from his people. But, um, yeah, I have no problem these days spending as much on a, on an iPhone as I do my laptop. That makes perfect sense to me, but it's weird when you're ingrained, uh, like the very first iPhone was $500. And at the time in 2007 or eight, that was insane. Like who's going to spend that much on a phone. But, uh, and I think that mindset is definitely still, you know, in some people's, uh, you know, mental image and yeah, it's time to kind of re rethink that. (laughs) But I'm, but I'm also funnily enough, also excited about the new Apple watch and how it would enable me to use my phone Mm -hmm. less having its own cellular dedicated eSIM card. Uh, you can still get apparently navigation, um, but definitely messages, phone calls, and uh, streaming music really cool. at any time. I mean, it's going to be a hit to battery life if you tried to wear it all day mm-hmm. by itself. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah thrilled. <laughs> I can't say enough. <laughs> New things. Um, maybe let's talk about travel for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, you obviously like to travel. I think most photographers, like it's just, it's kind of what we desire to do and what we want to do. Um, how important is travel? Well, I should say I love being in new places. I hate <laughs> traveling. I hate the process of getting there. It, and I'm starting to hate it more and more to the point where I don't even want to be in that different place because it's just so, uh, so taxing. But I've actually had a pretty nice break this month of travel. So I'm feeling a bit more re-energized. Um, as far as actual, um, do you think that there's benefits? So, um, I guess as an example for me, um, that we talked about a little bit, um, on an episode of a photographer and that if you're listening to this, you can go and watch that episode, um, about going to Kenya and the Masai Mara, um, does a trip like that where you have to kind of get out of your typical comfort zone of wedding photography with like a 50 millimeter lens and you're going to something completely different. Do you think that that makes you a better photographer or do you think it's just fun? (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm sure if you did it enough, it would make you a better photographer. I don't know about like a one week trip really 
doing a ton, but uh, yeah, if you do them on a regular basis, anytime you can be outside of your comfort zone, you're growing in some way, even if you don't realize it. So yes, in, in some ways, but also no and other. It was funny, that particular trip, uh, I did rent a couple of long zoom lenses. You know, we're going to be on safari, so I just wanted the reach. And almost all of my favorite photos that ended up printing and like, putting out there into the world were still from my, my 45 tilt shifter, my 50 millimeter lens, which is my bread and butter lenses for yeah. wedding days too. So that was kind of hilarious. Yeah, to me. I like, um, I, th- I think it's just that there's more of the actual experience and landscape in images that are a little bit wider because I feel like as soon as I got there, the first like 25 animals that I saw, I was at like 600 zoomed in and like DX mode, just trying to get like that national geographic portrait. And then looking back through the photos after I'm like, these are all like, these are stock images. Like they don't, they're not the experience that I'm having. So that's the thing. That's the thing with all telephotos, anything over an 85 for me has always felt, uh, with the background compression and all that too disconnected. It feels like you're, uh, observing versus like actually in there with the subject or the animal or whatever it is, which a 50 millimeter really puts you in there and anything wider than that, even more so. And I, I just love that. Um, so yeah, it, it, it does feel weird shooting. I think I had the Nikon, it was like the $6,000, 400 millimeter, 200 to 400 F4. I think that was the lens. I bought it on Amazon, took it on Safari for two weeks and then returned it. <laughs> Uh, that's Amazon needs a rental program. I think, I think they could make some money. No, you know what they need to do is a box pickup service because almost everyone I know has an issue of boxes stockpiling because they get like one or, you know, a package every day or so, or every few days. And, uh, you know, just have them have a service where when they deliver a new box, they'll take your old ones. That'd yeah, be amazing. Be <laughs> they would make so much money. Yeah, I love uh, the overpackaging of everything that I've ever received from Amazon. Like how did exactly. You- and the boxes are way too huge. <laughs> I, got, I got like a giant book sized, like the like huge dictionary size box for like a tiny little memory card. And, it's just, <laughs> and then the, that memory okay. card is also overpackaged in its own plastic as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This could come in an envelope yeah. people. Um, <laughs> So I guess uh, we met way back in Rome, or I guess it wasn't even that long ago. It was like maybe a year ago, way up north. Was that last year? Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I think it was. was. It? I think it was like it might have been early last year. Jeez. Yeah. I think I a lot's happened right. since then. Um, That's crazy. Conferences, workshops, you kind of teach it both. Um, is there one that you enjoy doing more or one that you feel that um, if maybe if you're just starting out, like what should you be looking at? Should you be going to conferences or should you be finding that one photographer that you really connect with and um, finding a way to spend an entire day with them? Well, I think they both serve two completely different purposes. Conferences are all about like the social aspect, the networking, as much as they're going to try and push like, Hey, you're going to learn so much. Uh, there's, there's just not enough that people, uh, very few speakers can, can dial in and you know, give you tons of great, um, justified knowledge within an hour. Uh, you know, they might be able to cover like one topic or whatever, but you get a lot of inspirational stuff and on and on. It, it's kind of, uh, I don't know. You, you get a couple hundred people together and suddenly it's like this, it's amazing networking opportunity. That's really the end of it. Now with workshops, which it's kind of weird because I think, uh, conferences have started that word conference has kind of started to add a negative connotation because people 
over the years go to them or went to them expecting to learn a ton and then they like don't some people love it but most people really want to learn so a lot of workshops or, or or what i would still consider sorry conferences are actually um wait no, no, no i'm reversing <laughs> so what i would normally consider a conference is being branded as a workshop which is really weird and a workshop in my mind is like one full day with one photographer with a you know small group 25 or fewer people and a lot of these workshops are starting to be like mini conferences 75 people 50 people or even 100 and they're still trying to call themselves a workshop which is weird but workshops still can be like a valuable networking opportunity but you're spending like this full day with one photographer whose brain you can pick and um, whose perspective you're hearing on a huge breadth of, of topics, which is super valuable because you start to see how some things connect with others and how one decision might impact uh, you know something else. A shooting style might impact a business decision with what is like offered in a package and all this other stuff that you just don't get from conferences unless you go to the conference and then also go to like a workshop one of the days or something like that. So um, they're just, they serve two completely different purposes in my opinion um as far as what i like more i think i like my own workshops better because i finally get to actually meet in person uh the people that follow my work and that's that's great i mean you do that at conferences as well but not everybody there is just for me you know and so being at my own workshop that's for sure the case and i can really you know connect with everybody hopefully as much as they want to um so yeah it's uh that's my opinion yeah. on and it. i guess maybe to give a little shout out to uh your workshops um where can people go to find out more information about where you're teaching and when you're teaching oh yeah um i think i got this domain working let me double check though before sure. i say it we'll put it in the show notes so. yeah if you just go to the epicworkshop.com that'll take you to the uh the exact part of my website that's about workshops but you can also just go to my website and navigate there but the epicworkshop.com takes you to uh the registration page and the city announcements and stuff like that for where where they're Sweet. occurring and so i do about 10 or 15 a year i'm pretty regular yeah. with them and is your podcast on that url as well or is that it uh no the podcast yeah i mean you would see it on a different page if you just go to resources and then down to podcast you'll you'll be able to see the podcast yeah. i highly recommend your podcast I've, i believe i've listened to every episode I think. yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah it's really cool we're trying to keep them coming. It's uh, it's tough to coordinate it's schedules. It's hard in the summer, so. and yeah. Well, and I bought Nathan a Nintendo Switch as a <laughs> gift, and so now we both have one. And like today, we could have podcasted, but instead we played Mario Kart for an hour, uh, you know, and just through the uh, the, the oh, internet, so their multiplayer. Online. I um, I get <laughs> to do great. one of the things that I've been the most excited and looking forward to. Um, in like two weeks from now, we're in Tokyo, and we're doing the real life Mario Kart thing. Have you heard about this? Oh yeah. yeah. So excited. Cool. And the guy that is arranging it, I guess he turns out that he's an investor in the company. He was just some random friend, I guess, that got connected on this email chain and then he set everything up for us like super fast. And we're like, who is this guy? And nice. it turns out he's an investor in the company. So let's I think it's awesome. the best company to invest in. That's... I couldn't think of a better maybe the <laughs> legal aspects of it might be challenging, but <laughs> um yeah, that's cool. Pretty cool. Uh, so to kind of wrap things up, um, I guess one last question. Say um, a photographer is listening. They have between like two and 10 weddings booked for this year or for next year. Um, what is your general or specific advice to them to scale that from that two to 10 weddings a year up to something that's like a 30 wedding season, full time, whatever kind of their idea of a full time season is? 
Um, I mean, for sure, my golden ticket to like future work and, and more work than I even know what to do with sometimes is, uh, you know, uh, always remembering to never get caught up in my own objectives as a photographer. Like I feature and am known for and love like standout, awesome bride and groom portraits. But I promise you, once the client actually sits down and starts looking through their gallery, they're going to be much more... Um, excited to see the pictures of their friends and family, not themselves. I mean, they're going to love those pictures too, I'm sure, but it's all about the friends and family and I never lose sight of that. Um, yeah, that's, that's the end of it. I mean, uh, the, that is what gets you referrals in the future. And, uh, that's almost like a hidden bone. I mean, when people inquire with me, I do send them full galleries to review things, but I think it doesn't really sink in until maybe even well after the wedding that like, oh my gosh, yeah, these are all, <laughs> most of the photos are not pictures of us. Uh, it's so good to, to always remember that. And, uh, yeah, that, that would be my best advice. That's what leads to, you know, great word of mouth referrals. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to add one thing to that is that, um, the second photographers that I use, I usually find someone who's my opposite personality. Um, in that sense, I'm very introverted. Um, very quiet. I don't like in cocktail hour going up and asking people for like group shots. Um, but I have a few second photographers that really thrive off that and they want to like, they want to talk to people. They want to get people together for photos and rather than just candidates, mm -hmm. like they spend a half hour, just like any, any people that look like their family are kind of getting along just like walks over and like, Hey, can we grab a quick photo of you guys? Um, and those are the photos that I see all over Facebook. Um, so I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe it's a good thing to, uh, consider doing if you're out there listening. Yeah. 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 It, it for sure. For sure. I mean, it's tough because it's tough to make the call and like where, what actually drives the most work. Is it, is it the standout pictures that like, you know, get thousands of likes and are shared all over the place of just the bride and groom portrait? Or is it the, you know, shared, uh, 10 or 20 times or, or sorry, shared once or twice, but with like 10 or 20 different photos of like gripping grins and people just like having fun. Uh, I, I wonder, or maybe it's a balance. I'm sure it's a balance of both at the end of the day, but, um, yeah, never, never forget that, you know, yes, it's great to have a portfolio of portraits that are really great of brides and, and grooms or grooms and grooms or brides and brides or whatever. But, um, yeah, for the, the client full galleries, that's your surefire way to get, uh, you know, future referrals. Awesome. So, that's all it. right, we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for joining me. That is all for this week's podcast. Again, I'm Taylor Jackson. If you are interested in all of the tutorials and courses that I have ever created, they are over at weddingbusiness.co. Head over there if you want to learn more about wedding photography. Or don't. Whatever. I'm not your I'm not your dad. See you next week. <laughs>